Well, good morning, Salem Hiders and guests. We welcome you here today and glad that you are joining us today. Uh, we are going to worship together before we hear from God's word. And uh, I want to read something out of the word to you that should be an encouragement to you. Because we know in these days, these days uh, seem to be changing rapidly and uh, seem to be becoming more tumultuous all the time. And so this is what our, uh, our hope ought to be. Uh, Peter talks about this here in 1 Peter, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it goes on to say this, It's in order that we might obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade, and it's reserved in heaven for you, it says. And so that is our hope as believers. We have such an amazing thing to be looking forward to when we're going to be with Jesus someday. And so take that with you today as we sing this song, Living Hope. Brendan's going to lead us this morning. Sing this with us. How great the
Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no Just as that song proclaimed, and as we've been learning about the past couple of weeks, when Jesus Christ came down and he died, he raised us up to a new and living hope in him. And not only that, he gave us a new identity so that now when we sing, we can proclaim with the psalmist that even in seasons where it feels like it's the shadow of the valley of death, we have no reason to fear. Why? Because the living God, the one who created everything, lives in us now and we have a new living hope in him. Let's sing about that.
so good. Lord, we thank you that you would send your son, that you would love us enough to send your son to die for us so that we might not be stuck in the domain of darkness, Lord, but that you would transfer us to the domain of your kingdom so that we could have a true living hope in you. 
We are so thankful for that. We pray that you would be with us and that you would guide our hearts and our minds as we turn our attention now to the sermon. In your name, amen. Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you again this morning, and hopefully you've had a chance to uh, gather with another family uh, or bring your kids into the room this morning, but we are thankful that you've joined us online, and we're uh, in our series called Who Do You Think You Are? And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Find John chapter 14. That's where we're going to start today. We are going to be in a couple of different places in the Word, but hopefully uh, you have your Bibles handy. You can turn to John chapter 14. And Pastor Justin, it's good to be back with you this yeah. week. And I know we have a couple of announcements as people are finding their way to John 14. Uh, one was just kind of an update on the coin. Last week we kind of shared the prize for those who yeah. participated in the growing project. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about how they can get their prizes. Yeah, so I, I think what we decided, I wrote it down here, yeah. is that uh, we're, we're coming here this next Thursday, the 18th, between 10 and 12. Yeah. But we want to highlight the reason for the coin was that we wanted to continue the kind of discussions that we were having when we we're talking about planting a seed, watching it grow, and talking about how God causes growth in our lives. Yeah. The next stage of that discussion uh, comes out of Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Mm -hmm. But we actually want you to, to take the coin that you receive during the course of this week, and we want you to talk about God's investment in our, in our life. So if he has given us a talent, why wouldn't we bury it? Or you can talk even about finances. Uh, how is it that God would have you spend the capital that he has invested in your life in a way that would bring him glory? Not just hide it, but actually become useful. So have spiritual conversations around that coin. Yeah, that's great. So hopefully we'll see everybody. If that doesn't work out for our family, they can contact the church office and we'll set up another time but we'd love to see as many folks come yes. on the 18th you and i will both be there yeah uh, the other thing we wanted just to touch on briefly is um our county is uh, close uh, we're, we're hearing that we're hopefully going to be moving into phase two and so with that there are some adjustments um, that are going to be made in our county and then also here at the church as far as how that's going to impact what we do here um, where's the best place for people to stay current on what we're doing as a church yeah, and for uh, a little while, we haven't been making updates to that stuff that we posted a couple Wednesdays ago. We will be making updates during the course of the next couple weeks. But just come to the website, um, be able to, um, uh, we, we will highlight at that place um, the changes, the plan, and maybe potentially some dates of when we're going to be starting our return, how they can get signed up for that. Uh, but we'll make those distinctions and have some more uh, video uh, explanations on that site here over the course of the next week. Yeah, and I think it's important that we are just letting you know that our church is focusing on ministering to the greatest number of people. Yeah. And so we want to be really careful in how we approach this. And so hopefully this information that we've given has been helpful. Yeah. And uh, it's going to ebb and flow and adjust as the county continues to adjust their guidelines and recommendations. Yeah. I think it'll be really important for everyone to understand uh, that we're going to emerge out of this slowly mm -hmm. because we do have a good crew of people. Churches around the U.S. that have, have rushed to open have only seen about 30% show up. Um, so there are small numbers that are willing to come. We want to make sure that we still are ministering to the greatest number of people in our church. So we need to provide both stuff for home churches and for the church that shows up here. We're trying to find the most reasonable way to do that without killing our staff. And right now we're, we're working out <coughs> details, but it's very slow going. 
because we want to make sure that we are ministering at the greatest level to the greatest number within the parameters we've been given. So our commitment to our church then is that we will communicate once we have clarity on what we want to do as a church. Yeah. We don't want to have to say one thing and then go back and revise it a bunch of times. So hopefully that's comforting to our church family that um, they haven't missed anything. And when we do make announcements, we'll make sure that we get it out to everybody so yeah. they know that that's available. Well, this series, Who Do You Think You Are, has focused on these different theological truths that we see within the scripture that perhaps have gotten a little dusty. Um, and by dusty meaning they either are something that we're not as familiar with as yeah. we once were, or possibly they don't stir us up, they don't move <clears throat> us like they once did. And this yeah. week we're going to be talking about the idea that we are a dwelling place. Yeah. So where do we see this concept kind of introduced in the scriptures? Uh, today we're going to look at two places, but it's actually introduced by Jesus himself. As he is going away to the cross, he is speaking to his men, trying to comfort them, mm -hmm. and he's telling them about an, an experience, a, a truth that is going to be in the church. It'll be in them. And so he is speaking to them about something significant that's going to be different about their experience spiritually than what was going on in the Old Testament. And he tells them, about the Holy Spirit taking up residence, and in fact, the fact that He and the Father would take up residence within them. Yeah, so, so yeah. in John chapter 14, if you, if you haven't found it, that's where we're going to be, starting in verse 18, this is recording Jesus speaking to His disciples, and it says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him, and he will reveal and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Yeah, that's a, a powerful passage and uh, we actually started one verse after the declaration that it wasn't just the father and the son that will take up residence in you but he says in verse 17 he is the spirit of truth the world's unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him but you do know him because he remains with you so right now we're experiencing him alongside us but he will be in you so in the future he'll actually be in you as well so father son holy spirit taking up residence in mm. us Hmm. Now, this becomes an, an important doctrine. Uh, it becomes extremely valuable to the early church. We see evidence that the Spirit of God takes up residence in those early believers, and we see that in our lives today. Mm -hmm. But Paul actually amplifies this. He uses an image that is super significant. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he's talking about the battle that they're having with sexual purity in the Corinthian church, he actually pauses and he says, don't you know this? Mm. And he says it in a particular way. Why don't you read that verse? Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Paul writes, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who mm. is in you, 
whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. And what's really uh, important there, if you look at the original language, and, and we're not given to uh, uh, d just focusing on Greek terms, yeah. you know, but there is a value in our study. The word that's used here is not just for a, a temple in general. It's not just a complex of temples. But he's literally saying here, don't you realize you're a holy of holies? Yeah. And the idea is the actual specific presence of God has taken up residence inside you. So even though God inhabits all of the universe, he has chosen to put himself on display in your life. Mm. Be careful what you're doing. Because yeah. wherever you go, you're taking the Holy of Holies with you. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a significant concept. So Paul amplifies what Christ said and says, don't you get what he's saying? You're actually a Holy of Holies. The Spirit of God, the living God is within you. Yeah. And so there is a video that the Bible Project has put together that kind of helps us frame kind of how the temple idea of the temple is seen throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. And so why don't we take a look at that video and kind of help us understand what is meant by temple. If you could go back to the city of Jerusalem during Bible times, the biggest thing you'd see is the temple. This beautiful building was designed by King David and built by King Solomon, and they believed that it was the home of the God of the universe. Wait, I thought God's home was in heaven. Well, the whole point of this earthly temple is that it's the place that overlaps with God's heavenly home. The temple is where God lives and rules all creation as king. That's cool, but even Solomon, who built the temple, didn't believe that it could contain the God of the universe, right? Yeah. The building was just a symbol, and it pointed to the fact that all of creation is God's temple. And that's actually what the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, is all about. Really? It says that creation is God's temple? Well, it doesn't need to say it. The whole story shows it. In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It's like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that's why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It's the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation? Well, the biblical prophets anticipated the day when God would create a new temple with a new priesthood. That's when God's presence would fill all of creation. And when the Israelites returned to the land, 
They did rebuild the temple. But that temple didn't turn out the way the prophets hoped. In fact, later Israelite prophets said that this temple was hopelessly corrupt. So they're still waiting for the ultimate temple. And here we come to the story of Jesus. He said that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way. And he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest and he didn't work in the temple. Right. Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule was filling the world through his own life, death and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple and this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That's a really big claim. And it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. Yeah, like when Peter says, you all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell. So at the end of the story, do we ever get a new physical temple? Well, not exactly. What we see is a renewed cosmic temple, just like Genesis 1. And this new creation doesn't need a temple building because through Jesus, all creation is now the place where God rests and rules the world with his people. So yeah, in this in this video, there there's a, an amazing picture a temple motif that goes all the way through Scripture. Super awesome to be able to kind of fill our minds with those right. truths. But he rests with this idea that we are a temple, that there is actually something that is used. And how we want to highlight this is in the Old Testament, it was a metaphor, a picture. So God's presence is pictured in a temple, mm. but now in the New Testament. Actually, there is a reality. The presence of God is literally inside of us. Yeah. So what was a metaphor in the Old Testament is a reality in us. And what we want to do is, is kind of piggyback off of that video, the ideas uh, of this theme that come throughout all of Scripture, and focus in really tightly on what kind of things were happening in the temple at the Holy of Holies that are also supposed to be true in our lives. Yeah, and so, so. there are a couple of different words in the Scripture in the New Testament that are used for temple, but it is speaking specifically to you are a place now where the presence of God dwells. Yeah. And so understanding that we are a dwelling place, there are some things that we want to kind of talk about this morning that are pictured in the temple, but that should be evident yeah. in us. So what's the first thing? Yeah, the first thing that we need to note that's evident, um, but we have to state it, is that the temple was a place where God displayed his glory. Mm. There's two passages that are really super profound. In Exodus chapter 40, the tabernacle has been built. Um, there's a whole bunch of workers that have gone into to making it perfect, but mm -hmm. they have put this tabernacle together. And Moses begins to dedicate the temple in front of all of the people, and he prays and he goes about the process of preparing sacrifices, and he's moving toward the temple. He prays and says, Lord God, it, it is amazing that you would have a dwelling with us but we praise you that you've given us a place where we can worship you yeah. and directed us how to build it. And 
right as he finishes praying, the glory of God fills that place and it's so weighty, it is so heavy, it's so significant, the glory of God, that he can't actually go in mm. and finish the process. He just has to stop and everyone is humbled. They bow low in front of the glory of God. Mm. And the result of that is, he, he says, because of God's presence here, when I move, you move. When I stop, you stop. But it directs their path. Mm -hmm. Next time that we see that is in Second Chronicles chapter 7, the first temple. So we're moving now from a tabernacle to a solid place. It's not moving with them. Now it's in one location. And they build the temple and Solomon begins to dedicate it. Same process. Yeah. He gets the sacrifices ready. He goes through this lengthy prayer saying, you inhabit all of the heavens. All of this is yours. All of the, why would you show us that just basically said, this is the footstool. Why would you even deign to, to show us a little bit of your glory here? But he says, nevertheless, you've said, build me a place so that people can look that direction and worship me. So he says, living God, thank you for giving us a place we can worship you. Yeah. Recognize when we're praying this way. And as soon as he finishes the prayer, the glory just explodes on that mm. place. The, the sacrifices are gobbled up with fire and God makes his glory known and they can't enter also at that moment. The glory mm -hmm. fills up and the priest couldn't even move forward. Mm -hmm. Everyone just falls in worship. And the statement is, wherever I look this direction, I will get my activity from you. So all their activity would be guided by the glory mm -hmm. of God. So this glory shows up and people have tried to describe glory, like what is the glory that was there? Uh, and so we came up with a summary yeah. uh, of that. Basically, with all of the theologians having different definitions for glory, it's a really hard thing to define. This is the definition we put on it, and that is that glory is the outward display of God's perfections, beauty, and activity. Yeah. So as followers of Christ, now He, the Spirit of God has come and dwelt us. He is dwelling inside of us, and so it should be evident that His glory is among us. It's, it's, beyond, it's on display in just how we live our lives. Now with each one of these observations that we're going to make, there's yeah. a problem though. Yeah. Um, and so for this first one, what's, what's the problem? What would prevent maybe from that glory being on display in our lives? Well, I, I think there's um, a, a couple of things that happen. When, when we think about glory, we look at our lives and we're not seeing this glory explosion. Like we don't see the Lord move in and we're just like, oh wow, look at the glow, yeah. right? right? But there actually was a moment where Moses encounters God and when he would hear from God, his face would begin to glow. Mm. He comes down from the mountain and it says he would veil his face because the Israelites were freaking out. <laughs> Man, this guy's glowing, you know, is he radioactive? What's right. going on with him? And they would get unnerved by it. Yeah. But uh, first, uh, Second Corinthians 3 tells us that Moses actually as that glory would begin to fade, would veil his face, not because the, the glory was scary to them, but because he didn't want them to know that the glory was dissipating. Mm. And I think what happens in us is we're, we're, we know there are certain things that will put God's glory on display in our life. Yeah. We know there are certain things that will bring him glory. And what we begin to do is we mask the lack of glory on the inside. We mask the lack of holiness. We mask the lack of relationship with God with religious activity. Mm. We start doing things to prove to others uh, that we're religious, but we're actually putting a veil over the fact that inside we, we haven't been glorifying God. We haven't been praying to God. We're actually not kneeling to God in any significant way. And so we, we put a veil over uh, 
uh, the lack of glory. And that veil is meant to tell others we're really righteous, but the fact is we're dead on the inside. Mm. There's a danger to that. Mm. So the problem is that we tend to veil what's missing rather than seek what is there. Yeah. God says, I've taken up residence. We need to seek him yeah. and the glory will become evident. Yeah. The second thing that we know about a temple is that a temple was a place of consecrated service. What does that idea mean? What is yeah. consecration? Well, what they would have known is that as soon as you come into the temple complex, there would be people that were worshipers, but there also would be people that were dedicated to the Lord. Some of them even had on their foreheads written, holy to the Lord, mm. and they were priests. And the very first priest, Aaron, uh, was consecrated in a way that they would then go on to consecrate all of the significant leaders of worship in the temple. Yeah. Moses took a, a sacrifice. Um, the blood from that sacrifice would be put in a bowl. And after uh, the, the sins were forgiven and the man was saying, I'm declaring that I'm dedicated completely to the Lord, yeah. Moses uh, took some of that blood and he put it on the lobe of his right ear, the thumb of his right hand and his right big toe. <laughs> and people have debated a long time what is that about, but the, the, both from the Talmud and from our modern day theologians, the best understanding that we have is this. The right side was the side of power. And so what they were saying was, everything that I listen to and focus on, everything that I give my strength to, and everywhere that I go, is going to be dedicated to the Lord. Mm. I'm going to focus that every place I am, I will be somebody who is a mediator, bringing people into the presence of God through my activities. Yeah. So that priest made that his life's mission. Everywhere that he went, they were to know that's a Levite. He can help me know God. Yeah. And we're called that. So as a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, what we're not saying is that, okay, these are some formulaic uh, activities that you must do, but the overarching principle is, is that your yeah. life is defined by a dedication, a commitment to live for the Lord, and that, that that's a desire that yeah. is something that does not feel like an obligation, but something that I really desire to do. Yeah, you should be compelled by it. Mm. I think we were talking about an illustration I'd used before, uh, Alex Honnold, that a actually is a climber. Yeah. yeah and do you remember the, the scene that we were, oh, yeah. yeah. It makes uh, your palms sweat just watching the videos uh, that they've done. You watch Alex as he is starting to climb up this ascent and, and all of his friends are talking about his dedication to climbing. Mm -hmm. And without climbing, you may have a guy that's just socially a little bit awkward and just maybe doesn't get along with people. But when you see his dedication to one thing, it's captivating. Yeah. And he, he would only eat certain foods. He never had a house. He just lived in a van. Inside the van are all these holds and he's like uh, every single morning he's working on just you know, lifting himself up on one finger or two fingers yeah. or a three finger hold. Uh, he's doing all these silly things, you know, that, to us, but they're dedicated. And in the next shot you see, he is clear up on the side of a sheer cliff, thousands of feet in the air. Yeah. With no ropes. With no ropes. It's called free soloing. So he's, he's climbing the face of a mountain oh. without any kind of safety apparatus. You just look down and you see the tops of trees that are 20 to 30 feet high. Right. Yeah, and they just look tiny. Yeah. But. Here he is completely dedicated. He gets to the end of this free solo that nobody else has ever done. I forget the name of El the- El Capitan. El Capitan, he's yeah. up the face of this thing. Yeah. He survives it, he gets to the top. Everyone's cheering. The, inside him, there's emotion that wells out. He says, I love you to a significant other for the first time. <laughs> he has uh, all of this emotion that rolls out of him. They go back down the mountain and they're like, Alex, how should we celebrate? And he goes, 
I don't know. And he goes over to his van and he says, I, I think I'm just going to do some holds. And he, and he goes back to lifting and going back to what he had always done, dedicated to the next time I climb, I'm going to stay strong. Yeah. I can't quit. And he just goes back to his routine, fully dedicated to that art. Absolutely. And so that's what came out of it. Right. And so the summary of this would be um, that the, the task of kind of living out your calling and living for the Lord as a dwelling place, that task is worthy of dedication. It and is. our life's going to reveal what we're dedicated to. Yeah. Am I dedicated to this, this reality of being a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, living for the Lord, kind of being yeah. drawn to that? Or is it going to be, what's, is what is revealed to me going to be this kind of pull towards other things? Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's the problem we identified, that we tend to get distracted from what we were made to do. Mm. God made us for a certain activity to put his glory on display. We get yeah. distracted from it. Well, there's one more observation that we wanted to kind of hit on in this idea of being a dwelling place. What, what was the last one? The last one is that the temple was a place of holy provision. Mm. So in the temple, inside the Holy of Holies, a place that the, the high priest could only go once a year. Yeah. And there was a, if you read in the Old Testament scriptures, there was a very detailed process that the Lord laid out for how that person was to be selected, how they were to be prepared, a, a cleansing purification ceremony yeah. that had to happen. And they even put bells on the edge of the garment because had they missed a step, had he gone in there with any kind of imperfection, uh, he would die in the presence of God. They'd have to pull him out because no one else could go in yeah. there, right? And so the Bible describes us as New Testament believers as being now this place where the Holy of Holies, where the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. But inside of the, the original tabernacle ark, what, uh, or tabernacle or temple was the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so God actually gives a picture. So yeah, there's all this intensity that leads up to going in there, but he puts in the center, his glory is actually resting on a holy box. Yeah. And inside that box, he had three pictures mm. of who he is to his people. He had the 10 commandments. He had a, a bowl of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. Three famous stories, uh, we should look them up. <laughs> yeah. uh, in, those, in those moments, he had the law. He had a picture of his love because manna came when Israel had done what was wrong, had gone wayward, and God still provided for them, even though they found themselves in a desert wasteland. Right. So manna was a picture of God's grace when they had gone wayward. So we have the law, his love, and then leadership. Yeah. Aaron wasn't a great leader, but he, everyone is in revolt, and he says, I want you to plant this stick, uh, a rod that was used in shepherding. I want you to plant your sticks in the ground, and whichever one buds, I, I caused to, to have life come out of it, that's the leader. And he causes Aaron's rod to bud. Uh, how do you cause something that is dead to be uh, filled with life? Only God can do that. So he, it's a picture of his law. I know, I know what God thinks, his grace. Even when I fail at following what God thinks, he's taking care of me and leadership. I can take even dead people or fools mm -hmm. and make them useful if they're in my presence. Mm -hmm. And he puts all of that, his presence lands on those three pictures. And he says, this is who I'll be to my people in every generation. Mm -hmm. 
And so this is a picture of what should be taking place inside of us, that we are living based on a holy provision that's been placed inside of us with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I know last week we talked about being a new creation. Yeah. And we have this potential now to live a new life in Christ. The, the power behind that potential, the power that makes that a reality is the Spirit of God that now yeah. lives inside of us and this provision, this holy provision that's been made in our lives. Yeah. So where does this potentially become a problem? What would prevent us maybe from relying on that provision? Well, just before we get there, the, the picture is we're a, a holy place out in the world. Yeah. So it used to be people would have to travel to a holy place in order to find out what's the truth, get grace, and get leadership. Now these holy places are everywhere. Yeah. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you can be anywhere on the planet. And people that you run into in the world can find out the truth, receive grace, and get leadership. We should be the repository of those things where uh, instead of listening to um, higher learning, I think we were talking yeah. about this, yeah. instead, of, instead of focusing on higher learning or politics or a lack of grace, you failed my rules, therefore you're out. And we, we tend to, I mean, that's on display in our world right now. Yeah. Um, Christians should be that place where they hear the truth, they receive grace, and they find out how, how do I move forward? Yeah. And it should be a settled, peaceful thing. Yeah. So. I, I, as I was thinking about the fact that it kind of reminded yeah. of the Holy Spirit, he, he dwells in me, and I'm a yeah. holy of holies. I, I, the, the two words that came to mind, this is an amazing truth. No matter where I go, no matter what I encounter, the Spirit of the living God is with me, providing these yeah. things of leadership and love and, and the law or truth. This is also very alarming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no matter what, I mean, Remember, whatever I venture out in, anytime I walk away from the Lord, whatever, whenever I stop abiding in Him, He's right there. He sees it. There's no secrets from Him. And, and perhaps that would be something that would hold us, our minds going, hey, what am I doing? Yeah. Where am I taking the Lord? What is, he, what is He seeing in me as I move forward? Yeah, yeah and you had an experience that uh, kind of helped us solidify this uh, following ways yeah so it, it has the truth but it also has the capacity to give grace uh, and it gives you leadership even though you don't believe it knows where it's headed yeah we were yeah. talking about like what's an, a way to kind of describe when you're being guided by something internally that has yeah. that maybe people don't know but it has some knowledge and in ways is uh, one of those uh, maps that you can download the app and it's it's built on the idea of other drivers alerting of problems on the road. So this past uh, December, we were heading up to Gresham for a concert at a church, heading up on 205, you know, on time, on schedule. And then it had us take this really random path through Damascus, the Happy Valley. We're out on yeah. farm roads. I've never been out here. I'm like, I know where Gresham is. I know, I thought I knew the quickest way, but this is leading me around. Well, come to find out, huge wreck on 205. And had I continued to go one more exit, I'm stuck in it. I can't get off and I'm going to basically be in a standstill. But someone had the knowledge and they passed it along and said, no, no, you just trust me, turn here, let me lead you. And what's really great about these, the, all the, the maps that you have now on yeah. your phones is anytime you make a wrong turn as you're trying to interpret in an unfamiliar place, you're like, I think it's this road, yeah. I think, has it been 500 feet? Am I supposed to turn right? If you mess up, it doesn't say, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Listen know, to me. It says yeah. recalculating. Let me, okay, all right. That wasn't what you were supposed to do, but let's figure out how now to correct that. And so there's a measure of grace with that direction. Yeah. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That's the provision is, here, I, I know the way. Yeah. And I know you think this is the straightest path. This is the path to go and pursue. 
will you trust me? This is actually the way to get where yeah. you, where I want to take you. And even if you have some slip ups along the way, some wrong turns, even if you misunderstand my direction, I'm going to show you the grace to continue to say, okay, hey, let's get back on the path and let's get you to where yeah. I want you to go. Yeah, and what we tend to do in life is we declare we made our own path, we got here without help, yeah. and, and it's about us. But the entire intention of the Christian life is to say, no, I just grabbed onto God and he led me where I needed to go, got me the grace I needed and, and, and had all of the truth yeah. right there. So the problem that we run into in seeing this, uh, that, that we are a place of holy provision uh, is that we tend to believe that God's glory is given to highlight our activity rather than his. Mm. We tend to say God's glorifying uh, what I just did. So um, we take credit for the glory of God rather than giving him glory for the fact that without his leadership, we couldn't get where mm -hmm. he wanted us to go. Yeah, his provision is yeah. not just solely for our benefit. Yeah. He has a plan, and that plan, when it comes to fruition, is actually going to glorify him more than us. Yeah. So as we were talking about this overall topic of a dwelling place, yeah. uh, that, that statement in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he's like, don't you understand? Yeah. I think it'd be good maybe just to summarize, like, what is the important takeaway from this truth that we are a dwelling place? Well, I, I think the, the key is when he says, don't you understand, and he's like grabbing them by the shoulders, don't you get it, is that there actually is a perspective we need to have. The Spirit of God has actually taken up residence in us. There should be evidence of that activity. We need to yield to that activity, and we need to make sure we're not getting, taking credit for that activity. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that we're, everything that we're doing is saying, the Lord, if anything good has happened in my life, it's his fault. Yeah. And I get credit for the rest, right? <laughs> yeah. And that might be oversimplifying the process, but he should get glory for the activity that he has created. Yeah. And um, that will give us joy, actually, is what scripture tells us. That's the place of greatest satisfaction. Is it even possible that in, in First Corinthians, that Corinthian church, you know, one of the first churches that gets planted, is it even possible that this idea had become dusty in their lives? And yeah. Paul is saying, don't you get it? This is amazing. Don't let this pass your attention. Yeah. And so that's hopefully what we're able to uh, highlight this morning for our church family. Yep. I know there are a few questions that uh, you and I were talking about just for families to discuss as we kind of bring this to a close. Yeah, we had three. Each week we've tried to provide at least those. And uh, the first one is, how is God's glory on display in your life? Mm. Uh, we want to be very careful uh, to make sure that what we're not doing is uh, belittling uh, or, or going to a place where we're just, uh, you know, being overwhelmed. Oh, I don't see glory anywhere or wounded. I, I think that we should take time. This is a hard thing to talk about, but actually take stock and say, where have I seen the Lord touch my life and get glory for an activity that I know was not my fault? So he did something through me mm. that was all him. Yeah. And, and I think that's hard at first to be able to speak openly about, but also uh, we tend to say, oh, he's not getting glory in my life at all. Uh, and if you're a believer, that's just not true. Yeah. Let's pause and take a time and say, how is he on display? Mm -hmm. The second question is, what is a thing or activity that is masking the glory of God in your life? So two ways that that can happen. One, I can actually be doing some religious activities that actually are compelled by me, not by the Lord. And I'm doing those things because I don't want people to see that I've, I've been feeling a little bit shy and that, sure. if I, you know, I, I'm not really filled up with the Lord. 
uh, or um, we can actually have an activity that we are doing and when people see us doing that activity, they're not thinking of the glory of God. They, they're thinking that guy's all about him. Mm. So what is it that we may be doing that takes away from people being able to see God's glory in our life? They, they just see earthliness. Or we may be doing some religious activities that actually mask uh, God's glory. And that's how, We're taking credit for yeah, it. And that's how we rob the God of his glory is when yeah. we take credit for his activity, his beauty, his perfections. Yeah. We take the credit. For sure. Yeah. And then the final question is, what is God calling you to do differently as a result of this truth? Mm. So how are you going to apply it? Yeah. Well, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. And if you're a first time guest, you know, this, this is a true statement for a believer, uh, someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the great reality of all of these concepts that we've been looking at over the last several weeks is that this is available to anyone who will place their faith yeah. in Jesus Christ. And so if that is you this morning, and you're a guest with us, uh, we would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Christ mm -hmm. and how you could become a dwelling place of a living God. Pastor Justin, yeah. would you pray for us as we yeah. wrap up this morning? Father, we do come before you and we ask that uh, you would get the glory from our lives and not just our lives individually, but our lives collectively as a church, as you are building us up. Uh, your word says as a holy building, a place where your works, your activity, your beauty are on display. We ask that you would get glory mm -hmm. and that you would help us as we go about our activity in the world to bring you glory. Help the world to see truth, grace, and leadership that has your fingerprints on it. Mm -hmm. Father, help us to be steady. The place where the tabernacle landed was called Shiloh. It was called the place of peace uh, or the place where peace belongs. Mm -hmm. Father, help us as believers to be a place where folks that encounter our presence would say there is peace there. Help us to be at peace. Give you glory. And we pray that all this would be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen.